You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to the PJ's cast. I'm your host, Pierce, and we have a very special guest today, Chris Peters from ESPN. What's going on, Chris? Hey, guys. Uh, just getting ready for the draft, whenever that may be. But, yeah, feeling feeling good. Good to be with you. All right, Chris. So, um, before we get into anything, like, before we get into, uh, like, prospects or anything, uh, I just have to ask you what you've been doing, doing during quarantine to stay sane. Like, have you been listening to any... Pod, new podcasts, <laughs> reading new books, or like watching Netflix shows, or any like anything. Like, what have you been doing to stay sane? I guess. Well, I haven't been doing a good job of staying sane. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously, you know, the nice thing is that when the NHL said that they were probably still going to have the draft in June, it kind of changed uh, my whole kind of mindset and and got me back into work mode pretty quickly. So that actually was was good timing. I took about four weeks off too, like where it was just kind of, uh, you know, I just wasn't really, there wasn't much to do for me to do. So it was just kind of laying low and I also had my kids at home um, and my wife was still working out of the house at that point. So it's just been kind of a, a, an ongoing process of, of trying to adjust to, you know, different things and, and obviously not having the kids in school. I think I've had my, both my kids home for about eight or nine weeks now. And um, that makes things challenging. Uh, it certainly made it more difficult to do the job um, when you're having to try to, but um, that just means a lot more work at night and, and, you know, obviously a lot of video and we've lost out on a couple of really important uh, end of season events that I would normally factor into my rankings that obviously weren't going to happen this year. Um, and, and not having the chance to talk to as many players as I usually you know, I talk to guys throughout the year, but then I really would talk to most of them at the combine and to not have that opportunity. That's another factor because you, you kind of learn more about these guys, kind of what makes them tick. So, so it's just a matter of trying to figure out how to factor all that in and, and still put together some, some cogent analysis. And uh, hopefully I did, you know, our first top 100 came out, um, you know, there, there's still a, a chance that some of it could change before the draft just because I have more time, but uh, really, just throwing myself back into work has been uh, the best thing for my uh, for my mental health at this point. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm a uh, someone who's going to be taking film school in the fall. So, I guess my little icebreaker I want to ask uh, is: we talked about you know what we're doing during quarantine, and uh, it's for one very interesting to hear you know the fact that I I find it interesting because I, I wonder myself, and I think a lot of people do, is how does losing the end of the season. Um, Effect like how does that affect the you know your rankings, your scouting, and you know how you judge players before the draft? So that's very interesting to hear. Um, but my little icebreaker was I want to ask uh, 
What's your, what's your favorite movie or what's uh, like a show or something you watched during uh, during quarantine here? Um, you know, like during during quarantine, um, I watched. I mean, I think I watched everything that everybody else has watched. Like Tiger King was in there uh, for sure. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, I. <laughs> Oddly enough, like one of the shows that I stuck with, even though like it had really kind of fallen off, was uh, was Homeland. And so my wife and I <laughs> went through that final season of Homeland, and that was that was all right. Um, you know, kind of getting involved in the, starting to watch The Last Dance and stuff like that. So, oh yeah, yeah, a lot of documentaries, a lot of you know, episodic television. I, I I haven't had a chance to watch as many movies, but. You know, we've got we've got some Hulu. We just got Hulu fired back up. So I'm thinking I'll probably oh, uh, go, man. That's probably throw on Parasite and shows. a couple other things like oh, that. Yeah, so. awesome. Oh, I love this guy. Oh, yeah, this guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are the things. Those are the things that I gotta gotta try to catch up on. But yeah, the hard thing is, is that you know, like if I didn't have kids, I'm sure I'd be watching a lot more. Um, so I'm also super into uh, you know. Paw Patrol and uh, uh, stuff oh, yeah, that's that's where, uh, that's you know, yeah, I gotta have. I mean, I think my son has probably completed like you know 10, 12 series. Um, he's not watching it like <laughs> all the time, but but it's just kind of hilarious to kind of go through streaming with kids and I, I, thinking back to when you couldn't wait for Saturday morning as opposed to just having whatever you wanted right right whenever you want it. Um, I'm I'm jealous of him retroactively. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, yeah the age of 20 i uh, i don't have any or 21 happy birthday to me i guess but uh at um, this age i don't have any kids myself but i my uh, my brother does have a couple and uh so from the perspective of an uncle i can uh, i can relate i think i've binged about a season of uh, mickey mouse clubhouse this yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can imagine that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah definitely a lot of disney plus in this house that's, that's oh, yeah. probably been the most frequently streamed uh, service and that's uh you know just just shout out to my uh, overlords at Disney as well. So, uh, <laughs> I forgot yeah. they own that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Chris, I wanted to ask you, like, even I got another question here. Like, so how did you get into writing into prospects? Like, what, uh, well, yeah, like, how did you get into that stuff? Yeah, well, my, it's kind of been a winding path for me. I mean, really, I, I my first job in hockey was doing the game film for the, the Iowa State hockey team in college. So I went to Iowa State and uh, we had a club hockey team, Division One. It was a highly competitive club team. So it was more, uh, we didn't really treat ourselves like a club. Um, we try to treat ourselves more like a, a, a big time program. And so went from that to doing like play by play. I did a lot of marketing PR stuff like that and kind of, you know, wearing all different hats. And, uh, my last year, I really focused on trying to get this internship at USA Hockey called the Bryant Fishman Internship, and that was, you know, kind of a game changer for me. I got lucky enough uh, to get it. Um, you know, I, I I spent a year at USA Hockey's national office as their intern, and then uh, right after that, the public relations and marketing job opened at the national team development program, which at that time was in Ann Arbor. It's now in Plymouth, Michigan. So, um, and Brian Fishman, who was actually the internship was named after, um, you know, he passed away while he was actually in that job at uh, at the national team development program. So I became the, uh, the first Fishman intern. I think I was like the ninth or I was the ninth intern. Um, and, uh, I was the first one actually, and so that was kind of fun uh it was uh it was a trial by fire because you know i my first year that i got there um we had some really good players like cam Fowler was, was our, probably our star player um 
at that time um, and uh, on our 91 team. And then the 92s had a lot of good players like Jason Snooker and Jack Campbell. Um, you know, we had uh, several first-round draft picks. Justin Falk was on that team, Brian Rust. So, like, that was my first exposure, really, to junior hockey at that level. Um, and that really got me fascinated. I was super lucky to work at that time. I worked with Ron Ralston, John Hines, John Robleski, uh, Chad Caskey, those were the coaches there. Um, Joe Exter, who's now at Michigan State, uh, and uh, Ryan Rizmerski, who's, who's now he, he's, he's a, he was our like our head scout there. And, and then the guy that really uh, was kind of a mentor to me was Tim Taylor, who uh, was you know in his seventies at the time when I started working with him, and um, he had he had coached Yale and he coached the Olympic team and like you know he was so generous with his time in helping me understand what he looked for in players and what he was looking for when he he was helping build national teams and really our, our the, the U.S. national junior team at the time was kind of trying to find its way back to gold for the first time since 2004 uh, hadn't done it and and he got involved in the scouting process in 2010. And sure enough, that first year in 2010, they win the gold medal at the World Juniors. I and know that all too well as a Canadian watching that 2010 gold medal game. I think they were going for a record straight six years in a row. And that is correct. Yeah. Jordan, Jordan Eberle, it was, I think it was 5-3, and Jordan Eberle, who had that clutch performance in the 2009 World Juniors. Yep. He, he, had two, he had two goals in that game to tie it up, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to happen again. We're going to win it. And just John Carlson in overtime, just the dagger. It was on Martin Jones, too. It's just crazy, like, looking yeah. back at that game, how many NHL players were in that, uh, yeah, or future NHL stars were in that game. Yeah, the guy that actually started the, uh, the two-on-one the other way with a shot that – he took the shot that ended up Jack Campbell and his top. It was Alex Trangelo. Yeah, so, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I think Nazem Kadri was also on the rush uh, <laughs> to go the other way. So it's amazing to look back at those World Junior teams. But, but, but Tim is really the guy. He passed away in 2013. Um, and he was a guy that really allowed me – like I was the PR guy, but he was the guy that said, I can talk hockey with you. I can – and the coaches let me watch video with them too. Like I was in the – I was watching them break down game film and seeing what they – what mattered to them and what – you know, and that, that was really the education that I needed to kind of do this. And um, just to, to make a long story short, it's, it's already long, but to, to shorten it up a bit, you know, I, I ended up leaving – USA Hockey because my wife lost her job and she got a new job back home in Iowa. Uh, she's originally from Iowa. We met at Iowa State. I was like, all right, well, if you do this, you know, this is this is going to change my career path quite a bit. Um, and I spent a long time looking for jobs and I just could not find anything I was passionate about. So I started a blog uh, called United States of Hockey and I basically did took the 2011 World Juniors and I was like, this is going to be my jumping off event. This is what I'm going to, I'll see how it goes. And what I noticed was Nobody else was doing that. Nobody else had had really covered the U.S. national junior team with any amount of, of depth. And so I basically said, that's going to be me. And that blog, surprisingly, the, the U.S. was hosting the World Juniors that year. They had come off the gold medal, so it was rising in popularity. So I kind of lucked out in the timing, and people actually were reading the blog. And a lot of people in the industry were the ones reading the blog. So that's really... So I expanded from from World Juniors to prospect writing, uh, eventually landed a job at CBSSports.com initially to do draft stuff. And then I got, I got shifted to the NHL coverage when they restructured. So I did NHL for a couple of years there, 
while also keeping track of the draft. And then uh, uh, I lost that job, went to work at the University of Iowa for, for a year in public relations again. And then uh, Corey Pronman left ESPN for uh, for The Athletic, and my, my current job is opened up, and Corey and I have been friends for uh, a long, long time, and he thought that I could get back into it, and he, he put my name up, I, I believe, I, I think he did, uh, and, uh, and then uh, we... You know, I got got back into prospect writing that way, and it was it was fantastic. And I, I mean, I could not be happier with the job that I have and and the path that I took to get here. And it's kind of funny to think back. I just was talking to my wife. I, I said I thought when when we had to leave Michigan and I had to leave the NPP because uh, she got a new job, I thought she ruined my life. And <laughs> it turns out she completely switched the trajectory. Uh, and it might have taken a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I mean, you know, to go from writing about the 2011 World Juniors to ESPN in nine years is uh, or eight years is pretty. Uh, I'll take it. So uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm definitely a believer in everything in life happens for a reason. That's just awesome. The journey you've gone through being part of the U.S. Uh, development program and then starting your own blog and then blog and then coming all the way writing for ESPN. That's just like an awesome journey and the fact that you persevered and even though you had some ups ups and downs that you're that you have a job that you love now. I I really admire that and. Uh, Kind of to get into the draft, um, Yeah, I want to talk about how COVID-19 has affected scouting. We kind of touched on it earlier, but, like, what has changed in scouting in terms of, like, vid- like what's the difference between video scouting and, like, getting an actual live viewing at an arena? Yeah, you know, it depends. I think a lot of teams have, have had their scouts do more video. So, in, in a lot of the teams that were already doing that really set themselves up well because then... You know, you go back to games that you saw live, and then you go, you you you're able to watch a lot more of one player at one time. And there's a lot of services now that have uh, players broken out by shift, so you can say, I want to see every shift that um, you know that Clinton Byfield took this year. I want to see, and and you can get that through various services that that teams use their video and, and analytics services. Um, a lot of them have manually tracked data too, so you can you can see every shot taken, you can see every goal. Um, so that's kind of very that's that's the upper level. Those are super super expensive. Uh, so somebody like me, I usually can't get that. But you know, sometimes teams will send you clips. Sometimes you know, it just kind of depends. But as far as NHL scouts go, they have all the tools at their disposal to really watch every single player that's eligible for this draft at any given time, which is good. Um, I think when you're you know, I when I first started this job, most of it was off of video, almost all of it. Not not at ESPN, but when I started doing my own blog, I didn't have a, a budget to travel. I wasn't making any money, so um, so I was doing it off of video. And what you know, I think that the nice thing is is that you get to see things over and over again. You can rewind it. You can go back. That helps a lot. You can't do that in a live game. And and some of the places that you're going to isn't going to have a, a suitable video feed for for replay. You know, so you might see a goal and then you're not going to see the replay of it. So you got to really kind of be laser focused and it's, it can be easier to miss things live. But I think what you get out of the live experience, obviously seeing the entire ice surface, watching it away from the puck, watching players away from the puck uh, is important. I think speed and skating is something that you can see so much cleaner in a live viewing. Um, and one of the things that I've also done over the years is I've gone to the testing 
of players. They do on-ice testing at, like, the CHL Top Prospects game. And you just get a sense of their stride. It's, you, you, you have to take all those those testing things with a grain of salt, but it allows you to see, you know, how a guy's stride looks, how, how you know, they time them in terms of their speed. And, and those things are all nice to kind of see, and, and, and you really don't get that same kind of feel off of video. Um, you know, I think the other thing is that at the, losing the combine, you lose the medical element of it, which is the most important part of it is that you kind of get a physiological profile of all of these players in a way that um you know you're basically reliant on them sending you that information now i don't know i haven't i haven't checked in on that to see if that's exactly how it's going or if they're not even able to do that this year because uh you know they're they have their own doctors look at these players their strength and conditioning coaches are watching their uh you know the combine watching how they're going through the the different obstacles and things that they have to, to do during that course and seeing, you know, is there anything that concerns me about how this guy's going to be able to work out, how this guy's going to be able to build strength, those kinds of things. So those are, and then, you know, you also lose events like the World Under-18 Championship and the CHL playoffs, which give you two of the most high-profile, high-pressure situations these players are going to be in all year. And, and the USHL playoffs and the, and the NCAA tournament, for that matter, all those things got wiped out. So not having those, I think, affects the players more than it affects the scouts because the scouts have been doing the work all year. And, and so those, those last events are those, op- those players' opportunities to showcase what they're able to actually, uh, you know, all the things that they've done throughout the year. You know, you hope they're healthy, and if they're healthy, that they perform at a high level and they perform better in those situations. Sometimes red flags can be raised in those kind of higher profile, tighter checking games where you're like, oh, this guy that operates really well in space, well, there's not as much space in the playoffs, there's not as much space at the World Under-18 Championship, how did he do playing against elite players, those kinds of things. Um, but there are enough events over the course of the season where I think that most scouts are going to have a pretty comfortable picture of where these guys are. Um, but, it, you know, it's certainly... You ask any scout, every single one of them is going to say they prefer the live viewings to the video viewings. And I'm sure it was very difficult for a lot of them to, to you know, kind of have to make that adjustment. But what I, what I do think will be interesting is how this year affects the way you scout. Do they keep their travel budget as robust as it is? If they have success in this draft where so much is done on video, do they... Do they start emphasizing things differently? There are a lot of different things that I think teams are going to have to take into account given the uniqueness of the situation. Um, but yeah, I'm fascinated to kind of see where it goes. But certainly this is this is far from an ideal uh, time to, to make those uh, to make those kind of calls that are, are you know have long term impact on your organization. Kind of on the subject that this has changed scouting. Do you think this draft will have less pressure for teams? than probably other ones just because uh, like it's not going to be live or well it will be live but it probably won't be like in an arena as it usually is so do you think there's less pressure for teams to uh, to like make picks maybe they can go for a bit of a swing and if there's a swing it's like oh whatever this was any like an asterisk of a draft anyway so it doesn't really matter as much as the other ones like do you think that there's that aspect in it when scouts are like looking at who they want to pick no, I don't. I don't think so because I think that every team is going to hope that they make the right pick. Like I, I, you know, and I think that any swing that they take will just be based off of swings that they already took in the draft room and and, and guys that they listed higher on their draft boards. And one, one thing that I want to point out about this draft class too is you know you get past like the top you know twelve, thirteen guys in this class. It's a real tight pack from you know, anywhere from 14 to, to about 55, 60, somewhere in there. Like, it's not like there's a huge gap in talent. I, I know that there's been a lot of talk about how good this draft, draft is. 
I think it's good at the top. It's really good at the top, but I don't think that it's necessarily an exceptional draft. I think it's probably going to be closer to an average draft, which which you're basically going to get, you know, maybe 25 to 30 players that are like long-term NHLers out of a given draft. And you're going to find most of those guys in the first and second round. And then you hope that you get, get lucky on some guys that, that are, are your picks. Um, I do think that they're, you know, what it will do is it kind of takes some of the pressure off, depending on when the draft is, if they do it before the, the order is set and, and before the season is over, that takes away trades. And that, you know, like teams that have stockpiled draft picks for the purpose of packaging them to acquire players or picks might have a more difficult time doing that now. Um, but, you know, like I, I think, you know, I look at teams like Ottawa and Montreal, they're going to pick so many players that, you know, I think some, they're, they're bound to, to maybe take a swing or two just because they have the draft capital to do it. But it's really difficult to say um, until we know when the draft is going to be. Uh, but, you know, I have heard, I've heard from scouts a lot, you know, several guys, the amateur scouts, they don't care about the trades as much. They just care about 15 players and they want to get it over with as soon as possible because they don't want this draft to kind of be hanging over their heads for the rest of the year. So um, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. But I think that the, the teams are going to feel the same amount of pressure. And I think maybe some of the players might be under more pressure because I think this will potentially be the highest rated NHL draft ever just because if you're a hockey fan, it's the only hockey that's going to be on TV for a while. So in, in that regard, I'm excited about it. But at the same time, I completely understand why general managers are furious. That this might not, uh, that, that, you know, we might have to do this before the season is over and, and you know, the trades are neutralized. All right. So before I pass it on to my, my uh, other friends to ask questions, I have to ask, are you pro June draft or not against it? I honestly don't care. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's it's really you know, like I, I at first I was vehemently against it. Like I thought it was ridiculous. And the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, the extra attention on the draft would be good. Um, but I also think that one of the key things about the draft that makes it popular, especially to casual hockey fans, is the transactional nature of it. Um, the trades that are made. I mean, the, the room, when, when Gary Bettman walks up to the podium and says, I have a trade to announce, oh, yeah. it's like everything that's like things. quiet and like like you can feel the tension. And then, you know, you might hear some people go like, Ooh, you know, like all that <laughs> stuff. And, there, and, and it, it's kind of awesome to, to have that, which, you know, it, you're not going to have that anyway because it's not going to be a live, you know, in-person draft anyway. But at the same time, it's still a very big part of what makes the draft popular to take that away. Most hockey fans, unless you're a diehard fan, you have no idea who any of these guys are that are going to be picked. Um, you know, where it's not like in college football where you probably saw, you know, a good number of those guys that, that were going to get drafted, um, you know, on TV. So that's the other thing is, is, you know, is it big enough? Is it a big enough pull for the NHL? Are they going to get enough attention? It's like if, if Major League Baseball starts on July fourth, any amount of momentum that the, that the NHL would get from a June draft is gone because it, it, you know you'd have a handful of days to to capitalize on that extra attention, and it just won't be there. So, um, so. That's why I say have it in June, have it in after the season's over. It doesn't matter to me. 
I'll continue working on my list. If it's later, I'll go back and review more video. It'll be interesting to see if how many more views change my opinion on players because you can always do better with more views. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I, I just, uh, I just, it, to me, it doesn't matter as much, but I know that there are, there's passion on both sides of the debate. Yeah, no matter what, how you slice it, this is like a really tough time right now. So, I mean, there's going to be complainers no matter like when the draft is. So, right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pass it on to Spencer, who's been really quiet. I'm sorry, Spencer, but uh, I know you have a <laughs> no, few. I know you have a few questions to ask, so uh, go at it. All right. So I just want to start. The unique thing with this year's draft is that there aren't like that many high-end defensemen like we've seen in previous years. I think that's the biggest reason why we'll see somebody like Jake Sanderson get picked so high because uh, Jamie Drysdale is going to get picked uh, pretty early on. But there's been so many different discussions about who uh, the second defense, second best defenseman might be in this draft. Uh, but for you, Chris, do you think it is as wide open as it seems right now? Is it someone? Do you think that's like a lock for the second best defenseman right now? Well, I think in terms of like second best, I think you got. So, so you're talking like after Drysdale and and Sanderson. yeah, 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 um, yeah. Like the next tier, I think for me, um, you know, just going based off of of, of my rankings. You know, like uh, it, there is a lot of debate. It kind of depends on your what you like. I think the, the the safest pick to me, and I don't always necessarily want to go with the safest pick, but I, I mean, you know, you want to try to draft stars, but I also think that you want to try to draft, especially in the first round, you want to draft an NHL player. You don't necessarily like, you know, you, you certainly hope that, that player becomes an impact player, but you want to have a guy. You don't want to miss in the first round, and, and not. And, and I think the guy that probably provides the most security is is a guy like Braden Schneider. Uh, from the Brandon Wheat Kings. I think that he is, you know, he's a guy that I've watched since the summer. He played in the, the Canadian World Junior Camp in the summer. That was the first time I got to see him. I thought he performed extremely well um, with with elite, with and against elite players. Um, you know, he's physical. He's got two-way capabilities, good mobility, uh, you know, good passing. Uh, I think the physical element of his game is important. Um, you know, he's got the size and everything as well. And, and he, he's just a smart player. And I think that's the thing that always stands out to me. For any defenseman, for any player, really, hockey sense is going to be the most important thing to me. And I know it can be difficult to define or explain. Um, but, I mean, I look at what Braden Schneider brings, his ability to jump into plays, his opportunity to, uh, you know, create from the outside as a defenseman. I think he's, he's done a really good job. I think, you know, for me, he's the type of player that doesn't jump out at you because he doesn't have any exceptional puck skill or things like that. But, I mean, he had 42 points this season. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good scoring clip uh, for you. For for you know, even though, and I think the other thing that kind of makes people hedge on him more is he was born only five days after the last draft, so cut off the last draft. So he's one of the older players in this class. You wonder about ceiling potential and things like that, but he's a six foot two right shot defenseman. Those are becoming more and more scarce. I think that the, the way that he plays, for me, makes him the clear guy. But, I mean, I know there are guys, there are scouts like Caden Gooley there. There there might be a few that like Jeremy Poirier there. Um, but I think that we're going to see a, a much more forward-heavy first round as a result. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of guys that are, you kind of just, you wonder, like, how how much are they going to make an impact? I, I, don't, I don't have very many. Um, defenseman in my first round right now uh, based on my own rankings and I think that that's you know that's kind of the way that uh, 
that it might go. But it, it's interesting to see. For me, Braden Snyder is a guy that, that I, I have the most faith in to become a very reliable NHL defenseman. So I have to ask you, you kind of brought up some points of like, um, so what do you value when scouting players? Like, what are some points that uh, – that uh, you value the most when evaluating a player and also what's you know how do you balance the difference between uh um potential and floor like ceiling and floor like do you go for the safe pick just to say yeah i got uh we got an NHL player of the first round or do you like to be like take the risk and kind of swing for the fences yeah i think i think as far as my just to answer that second part i think the first thing that i do um like i just like i just said was was you know, who's going to be an NHL player. I think that I definitely go a little bit more conservative, but I go conservative within my own construct. It might not be the same for, for an NHL team. And and the, the, the first thing that I'm looking for always is hockey sense. That's the number one thing because I think it can help you overcome certain elements. If you think the game quick and you're not the fastest skater, you can make up for the skating by taking good angles, good anticipation skill, you know, the ability to, to read and react those are things that you can do to minimize some of your deficiencies. And if you, if, but if you make poor decisions with the puck, if you're constantly turning it over, if you are not making good reads, that's going to be a lot harder no matter how good you are um, in terms of hand skills and skating. The next thing that I'm looking at is skating. I mean, I think that, that, that you know, you look at guys in recent years and, and guys that fall out of the first round, one of the biggest reasons that that happens is because they are not the fastest skaters. Um, and even, you know, I look at this year, like a guy like Cole Perfetti, not the fastest skater, but one of the smartest players in terms of reading, reacting, make vision, um, you know, offensive sense. That's, that's huge for me. Uh, but you know, a guy like Tim Stutzla is an incredibly fast skater with good hockey sense. That's going to put him, that's why he's ahead of Perfetti on my board. Um, and may not be on for some others. So uh, that's important. Obviously, hand skills, um, you know, I'm looking at those constantly in terms of, like, if a guy can beat a defenseman one-on-one and still, you know, make plays, he, he's got to be able to do that, but he's got to be able to finish plays. One of the things that you'll see in a lot of the things that I write is, is I talk about finishing plays, and that doesn't mean scoring. That means completing the pass, making the right read, making the decision after you've made that initial move. And there are guys in this draft that I feel like can do those things, but they can't finish the play. They're not consistently finding the outlet. They're not consistently making the play. And that's, you know, I think one of the guys that needs to do better at that this year is Dylan Holloway. And that's a, he's, he's a guy that started as a potential top five pick in this draft and has really tumbled down boards. And I still have a high regard for him because if the skating is there. I do think that the hockey sense is there. He's got some two-way value. Um, and I also take into account the fact that, that he was in college this year, making the jump from the Alberta Junior Hockey League. It's a huge jump, a huge jump, bigger than the USHL for, for the college ranks. So it's harder for, for those guys to manage. I mean, even Kale McCarr had some early struggles with UMass a couple of years ago coming from the Alberta Junior Hockey League. So so those are the things that you take into account. And obviously you have to look at the numbers. And I think that sometimes the numbers can be deceiving. Sometimes the numbers can be 
uh, overinflated a little bit. I mean, I think you know, one of the guys I have him sixth on my board, but he's you know higher for some is Marco Rossi, and he had 120 points this year. But 88 of those points, and this comes from from HockeyProspect.com, Jerome Barube, who did an incredible job doing the legwork on this, so I want to give him credit. But he put this out into the public, and I was, I you know, it, it made me pause for a second. But 88 of those points came against the bottom 10 teams in the in the OHL. That's a huge stockpile of points against poor competition. And he also plays in the Eastern Conference in the OHL, which is weaker. Um, you also in Russia and play in the NHL, which is the U20 league for the KHL. If they play near Moscow, those are more competitive games. If they play in Siberia, those are less competitive games where a more skilled player is going to be able to stockpile points. So you have to know those things. You have to understand that context. But you can't ignore the fact, you look at a guy like Cole Caulfield last year, 70 goals. He scored over 70 goals. I mean, like, okay, well, there. how many how many players do that in a given season? He has, and, But you also have to take into account how does he score those goals. And for me, he scored him at a rate. I was like, this kid is a, you know, a top, top seven, eight talent in this draft. So that's kind of where you, you make those kind of decisions. So, uh, but you really have to take a look at the whole picture. But I think, you know, hockey sense, skating, hand skills, um, you know, and then just general things like size is usually one of the lower things. You have to say if he's smaller, can he play with pace? Can he avoid contact? Can he, does, he, does he fly away from, from, from hard areas? If he's bigger, how does his, his feet work? Can he, make, can he move the puck? Is there anything he does besides put people through the boards? Those are the kinds of things that you have to look at. So I think this draft presents a lot of very interesting players. And, and, and you know, that's kind of – it comes down to very small separations. As I said, I don't think there's a huge difference between, you know, I guess, you know, anywhere from like 14 to 60. You're just like, wow, you know, like there's, there's, a, pretty, there's a pretty significant gap uh, between, I think, like the top, top 12 or so. And the next group, so so that's kind of where we're at this year, and it's it's uh, it's gonna be fascinating to see it all play out. Just going back to your whole thing on hockey sense, I also highly value that. Like that's the number one thing I value. Whenever I think of hockey sense, I think of Nick Lidstrom, who is who, in my opinion, is the best defenseman not named Bobby Orr to play the game of hockey. Like he was never flashy or anything, but he was just always in the right place. He always conserved his energy. Like he was never chasing puck. Like he just always anticipated the play and used stick positioning. Like that. That's what I always think of when I think about hockey sense. And. Jimmy, you have a question about regarding a prospect for this draft. So, yeah, you go hard. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you, Pierce. So, uh, Chris, I wanted to ask you about a player that I wouldn't say is necessarily polarizing, but somebody that's fell down the uh, rankings a little bit, and that would be uh, Anton Lundell. Um, the knock that I've seen on him is definitely his skating. He's not the fastest skater and definitely not the most uh, dynamic offensively. Um, but I was wondering, like, what do you see with him? What do you see as his upside, you know, like, what do you think he would be as an NHL player? I just want to kind of get your thoughts on him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that part of the reason that, you know, he fell down a little bit was, you know, some of the major scouting events he was injured or sick for. <laughs> now, unfortunately, that started in the summer at the World uh, the World Junior Camp in, in Plymouth. He came, uh, but he couldn't play. 
not very much. Uh, and then you missed the World Juniors entirely, and right. that really, really missed him. But but I think what, what what I look at with him is hockey sense is he's among the smartest players in the draft. He and and he played it professionally all year this year. He played professionally professionally almost all year last year produced at a decent clip uh you know his production was higher this year in uh, in only you know i was i think like six more games you know he had nine more points so you know that's that's a good that's good progression he doesn't have the flashy hand scope he doesn't do a lot of things that's that, that pop especially on video but what I see is elite vision. I see a guy that distributes the puck extremely well, protects the puck well, has good size, high two-way value. So I think you're looking at, if you're looking at him, he's not a number one center. You know, I, that's that's clear, and that's one of the reasons that I think he slipped down. He's not a guy that I don't I, I don't think will will compete for a number one center position. But I do think that he's going to be a really good middle six center. Could be a number two. You know, I think that there's an opportunity for him to uh, continue to get stronger. And as he gets stronger, he's just going to be that much more difficult to play against. Now, he was a top player on Finland's World Junior Team last year as an underager. You know, he had he had four points, but he was on the penalty kill. He played big minutes against top lines. He helped shut down the U.S. offense in that, in that gold medal game. I think that he was one of the most utilized forwards outside of Paco Paco in that tournament. And he is, you know, and, and so if you look at the full body of work of Anton Lundell, it screams NHL to me. It screams NHL that he is going to be a, a player that with a significant positive impact for his team. I, I think that there are players that can make a greater impact offensively, which is why that he slipped my board, but I didn't dock him. I didn't dock him too hard because I've seen the intelligence in his game. So you know he's he's just outside of the top ten for me. I think that there's a if a team took him in the top ten, I would have no problem with that at all because I think if there's a player that you know maybe the upside isn't necessarily. Uh, you know where, like where uh, a Capo Cacos was last year. You know that's not a very fair comparison, but but you know he's a guy that is going to do what it takes to win. He's the kind of guy that you can win with, and I think that that is going to speak to NHL teams in that lottery range that are looking for a player that you know probably has a a, a shorter NHL timeline as well. I think that he's he's smart enough to play in the league real soon. Yeah, so we're Blackhawks fans and. We kind of want to talk about potential fits for the Blackhawks, like what picks they could go at nine if they, if you know, nothing happens in the lottery, regardless of what it is, like how they do the lottery. If it's the old one where only uh, one team can jump up, or the the lottery system we have right now where anyone can jump into the top three. So, um, I'm just wondering, do you think Lundell would be a good fit for the Blackhawks? That's an interesting one. I I don't know. I I think that. I think that the Blackhawks have a severe lack of dynamic talent um, in their pipeline. Uh, you know, obviously, I think Boquist, um, Doc, those are guys that are, are huge, hugely important pieces going forward. Guys, I think, will be dynamic players over the course of their career. Guys that didn't make the NHL this year, there's just not a lot of that. I think that with Lundell, you know, in that in the way that the Blackhawks play, I don't necessarily see a stylistic fit there against some of the other guys that could potentially bring in, like an Alexander Holtz or, you know, maybe even a Marco Rossi. It kind of depends. I mean, we really don't know how the draft is going to fall. The guy that I think is most intriguing to me for the Blackhawks, and I apologize if I'm feeling a question here, 
Um, but I would be if if Yaroslav Askarov, the goaltender, is still on the board. Um, yes, oh, you yeah. know, finally, you, you go there, you go that way because the Blackhawks do not have an elite goaltending prospect. I mean, most teams don't have an elite goaltending prospect in their pipeline at any given time, and the fact that you know you still there's there's, there's doubts about what they're going to do with the position going forward. Um, I think that Askarov would make a lot of sense for them. Uh, I think. That they might not. It just depends on if they're going to have the patience. I mean, you, you look at John McDonough getting fired. What does the timeline look like for the team? What are what are the goals? And I don't think that you can find a player at nine in this draft if that's where they're going to be. Uh, or or I don't think you can find a player after one in this draft that is a lock to play in the NHL next. I mean, I think Lafreniere. I could certainly see Byfield challenging and probably making an, you know, making whatever team he ends up like if it's like to the Senators. But I mean, I just don't think there's enough guys that'll be there ready anyway. So you, uh, I have to, I, I have to double check on uh, contract situation with SK and uh, Spa, you know, in uh, in in Russia, but. To me, that's the guy that intrigues me most for the Blackhawks just because I think that they've, they've built a nice little defense pipeline. They have Kirby Doc, who I think will be you know, an exceptional talent. Uh, you know, if they're going to go, if they're not going to go forward, you know, not go with uh, a more dynamic talent if none are available for them, then I would say that Askarov makes a lot of sense there. So you think very high of uh, Yaroslav Askarov. You have him ranked number seven on your rankings, and I'm just wondering what you think of him and how he ranks up to past goaltenders because there's a good potential that he goes in the top ten, and we haven't had a goalie go in the top ten since um, Carey Price in 2005, and I'm just wondering how he ranks to past goaltending prospects such as uh, Spencer Knight, who went, I think, 12th or 13th last year, or and uh, Andre Vasilevsky in 2012. Yeah, well, I saw, I, I've seen, I didn't see Carey Price this draft year. I was in, still in college at that point, so I did not see him, um, you know, so I don't have a good book on him as a prospect. Uh, but I've seen most of the guys since 2007, most of the top goalies in one form or another at various events, either with my time at USA Hockey or after I started covering prospects. Um, and Askarov, to me, is the best player of the team. Um, and I think, you know, Masilevsky, I did see the first time I saw him, he was 16 years old. He was actually playing at Seven Bridges Ice Arena. No way. Uh, yeah. Wow. yeah. I'm sorry, I played there before. That's insane. Yeah, they had a Four Nations tournament there, and it was the 1994 huh. born players, and Vasilevsky was Russia's goalie, and he was an absolute monster. And on USA's blue line with Jacob Truba, Jones, I think there were probably – in that game alone, there were probably like nine or ten NHL players. Um, so yeah, so you could see that at Seven Bridges if you knew that who the best sixteen-year-olds in the world were. But um, but Vasilevsky was—I never thought like he was just a monster immediately. He was—he he had terrible a terrible team in front of him, and he was not the thing. He was just—he was magic. And Karnov's better. Um, and the crazy thing is, like, there are a couple interesting things about Askarov, and I'll actually have a piece on ESPN Plus uh, this week about him. But, you know, he's a right-catch goalie. There are not many right-catch goalies in the NHL. I think there were only six in the league last season, and not one of them was a starting goalie. 
think the last starting goalie to be a right catch was Steve Mason in 2017. So like that's that's you know we've got a got he's a little different that way. Um, you know, obviously he's Russian, so that's a, another factor. No Russian has ever gone in the top ten in the draft as a goaltender. Um, and there's all those other factors, but I think when it comes to talent, I, he's explosive. He's in control. He is uh, as competitive as anybody I've seen. He can battle. Um, he can uh, he can you know make a lot of different plays as a as a, as a goalie. And and you know I think that what he does. You know last year I was at the World Under 18 Championship, and that he was he was the goalie for for Russia. And uh, you know they they played USA to a shootout. I think USA outshot them severely in that game, maybe two to one. And uh, and now through overtime, they go to the shootout. USA sends over Jack Hughes. Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcotte, Trevor Zegers, and Matt Boldy. Wow. Five a couple top of them, picks. Five top 15 picks. Goalie on the other side of the ice was Spencer Knight. Another top 15 pick. He stopped every shot. Wow. And yeah. that, was USA. that was the best U.S. team I had seen um, as well. So, like, that was – that to me was, was a great moment, and then he had then he, then he won the, the Ivan Holenka pretty much single handedly. Russia got outshot thirty five thirteen in that final against Canada, <laughs> and they won three to two. Oh so <laughs> that's that's goofy. I mean, and, but you and the thing is, you can't get stuck into those kind of tournaments. So I think that happened. You know, we, that happened with Jack Campbell. Um, you know, he, he had great World Juniors, the great World Under eighteen, he was so dominant. And, and you kind of get sucked into that, and 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 I love Jack. I think he's a great. Uh, he's he's made it to the NHL, but you know, to pick him in the first round that was a big risk. I think there's a much lower risk factor with Askarov, and he didn't have a great World Junior. He didn't have an amazing in February, but he also played pro hockey in Russia this year, and only four goalies under under eighteen goalies have played in the the the, the second tier Russian pro league. Um, and Vasilevsky and Simeon Varlamov are two of them. So it's it's kind of for me, Askarov is is Askarov is is a uh, an elite talent in terms of goaltending, and, and you know there honestly, like there was a time this year where I thought he he would be a better prospect than Lafreniere. Wow, uh, wow, that's a, that was early in the year, and now like I just think that the risk factor remains solely. But I mean, I had I think I had Spencer Knight. My final ranking was like thirty one last year. Even though I loved him as a player and I thought he was going to be really good, he has been really good so far. Um, but I think a star of you know, there's if a team took him say third, I wouldn't bat nine. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So speaking of teams in the top ten that might take a chance on a scarf, do you think the Blackhawks would like? It's a good bet that the Blackhawks might take a chance on him that. I guess I don't know how to work. It's hard to say. Like I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm fascinated. Like say, let's say, let's say Ottawa. Like the way that the, the current lottery that was proposed for for the earlier draft, if it ended up that way, the worst Ottawa could do is three four. In that, it, like that's the worst case scenario is three and four based on the odds provided by the NHL. They have those two picks. Let me back to like if they say they got Quinton Byfield at two, and then they have the third or fourth pick when they take a goalie because they could use, you know, like a long-term goalie option. I don't know what they would. I think they have some more immediate needs. And, 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 uh, but it's still, it's something to think about. And um, so that's kind of, 
that's kind of one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think that Ottawa certainly could use it. Um, really, any team, you know, I think could benefit from a guy like Starov. Um, but, you know, I think you have to be in the right position. You have to be patient. You have to know that you might not have him for a few years. And um, but I think that he's uh, he's a pretty exceptional talent. And, and like I said, if there was a team, like if I, I, I would certainly still have Byfield and Lafreniere one two. Um, I, I feel a little bit more strongly about the forwards that I have ahead of Escara, but I put him seven. You know, so I mean, like that's still you know, I'm pretty pretty high on him. That's uh, quite high praise for Escaroff, and I think Escaroff could be a very good pick for the Blackhawks because I think Corey Crawford has got maybe two or three more years in him, and that's probably how long that Escaroff will take, maybe another year, like three or four years. But, you know, once Crawford is maybe done, maybe Escaroff takes over. I don't know. I like the fit for the Blackhawks there. But, uh, Spencer, you know probably the most out of prospects out of the three of us uh, doing the podcast right now. Uh, you've been quiet, so I just uh, yeah, I just want to give you the floor and ask you a question. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you about Noel Gumler here because I know there's so many different opinions on him as well. Some people uh, have him in their top 10, others have him in their top 15, 20, or even in their late first. So I'm curious, like, what do you think makes Gumler such a polarizing prospect since he's like the most polarizing in this year's draft? Yeah, well, I think you got to look at a couple different things. I mean, the first thing is that, um, you know, he, he played well, really, really well at the beginning of the season. Like, I thought he was, there was, he was looking really good um, at the beginning of the season. And, you know, getting good minutes, getting opportunities, producing. Um, I think that the reason that Gunler was so highly regarded, particularly from, you know, independent scouts, guys that, you know, kind of do what I do, was that he, he scored at nearly, you know, 27 goals in 31 games in Swedish Junior last year. Um, which, you know, is pretty, it's, it's good. It's not like, you know, it's pretty dominant. Um, but, you know, he got 15 games in the SHL as well last year as an underager. Um, and, uh, you know, or as a, as a 17-year-old and, and did pretty well. This year, you know, he struggled a bit more, I think. I think, you know, he, he started kind of dripping, kind of drooping down the rankings a little bit. Um, but I think that the other thing that has given teams pause, I think there are some, like, and I, I hate writing about that. Like, I don't like doing it. And I haven't really, you know, no one's ever been in an event that I was able to cover live. Um, and so that's kind of, it's hard for me to say, and I was really hoping I get a chance to talk to him at the Combine. But, <laughs> excuse me, but there are significant character concerns. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the things. He has not been part of Sweden's national program on a significant level um, aside from his U-17 years and the fact that, that he didn't graduate from U-17 to playing a significant role at either the Ivan Holinka or the World Under-18 Championship last year. I mean, he was sent home last year to, if, to play in Sweden. They won the gold medal without him, so obviously they didn't miss him that much. Um, and that was a and, and you know he kind of chastised the coach in public and uh, you know through the media and you know talked about what he made. But but I think the other thing that happened this year is that his game trailed off this year. And you know I think when you see that you have to start getting concerned. Some of it you look like and say, okay, well, was it usage? Was it was it kind of like you know were you not getting the opportunities? And I think that some of that is true. Like he wasn't going to you know, but. 
But you also get the ice time that you earn, even in that even when you're a young guy in the SHL. And you know, I think that you know, I'm just kind of looking at his his game by game here right now, and you know, his game averages, average ice time is kind of all over the map. Um, but you know, you look at earlier, like mid season, he was pretty regularly playing you know middle six minutes, and then as the season wore on, there were games where he barely played. There were games where he was healthy scratched. There were games where, you know, he didn't make any discernible impact on the game. And and I think that that's got to give you pause. I think in guys like that, you, you know, you look at the scoring talent. He certainly has an elite shot. He's got some really good hand skills. But when you're picking in the first round, you have to have the whole package. And I think that, that you know, you want to have make sure that the character is, is another thing that, is well thought of. And I think in this draft, there are certainly teams that are going to say, all right, we're going to take the chance on the talent. We don't have a lot of guys in this draft that we are very passionate about. And so we're going to, we're going to take a chance on this kid and see what his talent can bring. But that's another thing where, you know, what if he wowed teams at the combine, you know, what if he had an opportunity to play? I think he was supposed to play for Sweden at a U20 event that, that, that in the, in the spring that ended up getting canceled. So, you know, like that's, that's another thing where, you know, you lose these op- – actually, I'm sorry, he got hurt, so he couldn't play in it. Um, yeah, but they invited him. So, you know, they, they were, there were inroads being made to try to get him to be part of the system again. Uh, but, you know, he didn't make the, the World Junior team this year, didn't really have a chance. And uh, those things stand out. You know, I, I, I don't think that he's going to get, like, a, a huge vote of confidence from the Swedish Federation uh, when, you know, scouts are trying to call say, what's the deal with this kid? Why did why didn't you guys take him for your tournament? So, so that's a reason that he's kind of down, down the looks of it. Yeah, so um, we're going to talk about another Swedish player here who's more highly thought of in rankings. And uh, Jimmy, do you want to go ahead with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. This is my guy in the draft. So uh, I want to know, and I, I saw he was, I believe, uh, four on your rankings, which I would probably put him around there right behind uh, Stutzla. And that would be Lucas Raymond. Uh, I was curious, what do you see as him? I mean, I guess the easy... I mean, a pretty common answer, I should say, from a lot of people would be, you know, like a number one winger on a team. And uh, I guess I want to hear from you maybe a little bit more in what you see in his game. Maybe uh, not a player comparison, but like uh, maybe a, a style of a player you see him uh, you kind of see in his game. Yeah, you know, I think for, for me, I just, I, there's so much I like about the kid and the game that he plays. I think he's super smart. He's got good speed. Um, you know, he, he plays hard, plays tenaciously. Um, you know, the, the hand skills are outstanding. I mean, you look at, you know, if you want to look at like a, a fun highlight video, just look at his U18 highlights from last year's World Under 18 Championship, particularly in the gold medal game. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you know, the, the, the way that he dances defensively, and he did at the World Juniors a little bit too, um, he really challenges teams. And when, when he's on the ice, his team is more than likely than not to control the puck. And I think that's one of the things that stands out when I watch him is, um, you know, he played per, played professionally this year for Colunda, and that's a deep, deep team with a lot of veteran talent. And unfortunately for him, that buried him on their depth chart. And so with him being buried like that, he didn't really have a chance to put up numbers. And, you know, and when he did play, when he was given a significant amount of ice time, he did perform and he, and he can make plays. Great release on his shot. As I mentioned, highly intelligent. Gets to the middle of the ice really well, which for a winger, you want to see a guy that can still get to the middle of the ice. You want to see a guy that can make plays to the middle, go take puck to the net, 
he can do that. He's not a big guy. He, you know, <laughs> mentioned that he could be a potential, you know, number one where, and I certainly think that that's a possibility. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I think that the way that he plays is gonna he's gonna fit the team, a lot of teams, really well. And in terms of player comparisons, I try to stay away from them just because I think that it can can be a bit misleading. And oh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah but I, I, I've been made to do it a few times, and so so I so I guess I'll have to to, to relent a little bit. I'm trying to think, you know, more recently in terms of guys that uh, that kind of. Stand up to him. Nothing's really popping to my mind at the moment in terms of like stylistic players. I mean, like certainly, certainly there are elements of like a Willie Nylander, um, you know. And I hate to use the Swede the Swede comparison because I think that's what everybody does, and and that's part of the misleading thing. But I do think that there's some similarities in our game, especially with Willie when he plays on the wing. Possession, um, yeah. Yeah, it's all about very much there. It's, all yeah. about, it's all about extending plays. It's about making plays with speed. Uh, he's good on the rush. So, you know, I think that for me, a guy like Lucas Raymond has has a high, high ceiling. Um, and, you know, the fact that he was playing a significant amount of games this year for, for Lunda at 17 years old says a lot. The fact that he was. <laughs> sorry, I'm getting a little dry here. Um, no worries. The, the fact that he's, uh, you know, was such a huge part of the world junior team, world under 18 team as an under eighter. I mean, he's always been a step ahead of the game. I think that's that's kind of what Sam thought about him to me. Yeah, so I've seen uh, Lucas Raymond drop down a lot of rankings, and I really like the point you brought up about context that. Raymond played on a very deep team and he didn't get much ice time. Yeah, the certainly the production isn't there what you expect out of a potential top five, even top three pick, but just given the circumstances that he got bottom six ice time, but he did pretty well in him, you know, he scored a few goals and showed some offensive ability, but he was also like someone you could rely upon that he's not gonna like, you know, when you go out there you're in your own end, you're not gonna be a train wreck, like he's just responsible defensively and you just Got to appreciate that complete package, even though if you didn't get the time. And uh, one question I have to ask you, do you think that, um, this statement, do you think that St- Tim Stutzla would fare better off in the SHL than Lucas Raymond would in the DEL or whatever, like vice versa? Uh, I think that they would both be, I think I think Raymond would put up as good of numbers, if not better, with Stutzla's ice time and line mates in the DEL. Um, I think that the Swedish Hockey League is a better league. Um, it's a harder league. It's especially harder for younger players. Um, so it would be harder for, for Stutzla to do that. I think that, um, you know, one of the other things that we look at with, with, with Tim Stutzla is, is the fact that, you know, he was a major contributor on a championship-level team one of the best teams in, the, in his league. And then you take him away from that and you put him at the World Juniors on a weaker team, a weak team like like uh, like Germany that doesn't have the depth. And Germany was in the group of death. They had the Czech Republic, Russia, USA, Canada, all in their group. And Dutzler still managed to make plays. He stood out in those games. You know, so he's, he's you know, I think that his ability, the, the separating factor with him and Raymond, I think, is is twofold. I think he's a better skater and he has better size. And he's a bit more of a playmaker um, than Raymond is. And, and I think that that's kind of some of the separating factors. Uh, I don't think either are far apart. 
Um, but I do think that, you know, if you give – and I even think if Raymond had more ice time with Forlunda, and, you you know, who are you going to take ice time away from than the veteran guys that were there, guys that have you know, been there and, and are paid a lot more, you know. So, um, so I think that's all as part of the factor as well. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that those two guys are exceptionally close. Um, in terms of, you know, I'd keep them in the same tier together if I was tiering the first round. I think they're, I think there's the, the Lafreniere tier, the Byfield tier, and then the next tier, which would include at least those two guys, and if not, a couple of the other guys in that top five, top six. So what do you think about Marco Rossi? Marco Rossi is my personal favorite in this draft. I personally have him at three, and obviously some people don't, but I like, that's what I like about draft rankings. You know, if they were all the same, it'd be boring, there'd be no debate, and you know, I like when looking at rankings, yeah, this is different than mine, and I like hearing the reasoning behind him. You have him at six, and I just love Marco Rossi. He's, even though he's underside, he just has, like, he plays like he's 6'4". He has such a, a motor, and he's also offensively skilled. Like, he can just throw him out anywhere in any aspect of the game, and he can excel. And he's so unique in the sense that he's a 5'9 center. There aren't many centers that are sub 6 feet tall. And he's from Austria. He very well could be the highest uh, Austrian player ever drafted after Thomas Vanek and maybe the best Austrian player of all time. So I'm just wondering what you think about Marco Rossi. Yeah, well, I think you brought up an important point. I mean, there's really, I think, like, one of the smallest regular centers in the league is Braden Point. You know, and he's pretty good, and he's bigger than Marco Rossi is. You know, like, uh, Rossi's listed at about 5'9". Um, I think that one of the things that Rossi does is that he's got a great lower half. He, he's got a good motor. He, he can he can get leverage on players, and, and, he, and he has tenacity. He doesn't shy away from contact, and, and obviously has incredible skill. Um, I think that you know part of me thinks you know I, I think there are going to be some teams out there that that have a hard time viewing him as a center. I mean, it was the same kind of same kind of thing with Jack Hughes last year. But I think Jack Hughes is on a completely different plane in terms of skill level. Um, and skating, and so that's 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 a separating factor uh, with with Rossi. And I think if you're going to look at you know potentially picking him ahead of some of the guys that I have ahead of him, um, I think you're you're hoping that he's a top six center. And I don't know necessarily if that's gonna if if, if he gets the NHL at his size that he's going to be able to do it because I don't think that his skating is that you know is at the level where it needs to be to to, to be that level of a, a center. I I'd be happy to be wrong. Uh, it, it doesn't bother me when I get that wrong about players like I want players to excel and succeed and everything so uh, I think that he would he would do well um, the issue is, is that, you know I think the, the size does matter at certain positions I think at center in particular it does if you don't have a skating ability but one thing that I, I, I want to say is that he is you know he just competes he battles he's not just a skill player he's not just the guy that that is going to get uh you know, uh, you know, play from the outside. He likes to get into the middle of things, and I think that that's an important aspect of it. And if he ends up on the wing, I think he'd be a phenomenal wing too. So it doesn't really matter to me whether it's center or wing because I think he's going to contribute at the next level. Um, I just think that the separating factor for him at this point is, you know, and, I, and, I, and also, as I mentioned, I think we kind of get enamored with his point total, the fact that he led the OHL in scoring is no small thing. Uh, but he had a better supporting cast uh, than, than say, Quentin Byfield at Sudbury, and uh, the production isn't necessarily so far apart. Um, and as, as I also mentioned earlier, a lot of that production came against lower, you know, bottom-feeding teams, um, which really inflates the numbers. So, you know, you get if you, you would never take those points away from him because they're points, right? They, they, they deserve to be there. He, he earned those points and everything, but at the same time, it, that, that added bit of context at least gives me a little bit of pause of, of what happens when the game pace quickens, what happens, 
you know, you know, do I is he a guy that I think could play in the NHL right away next season? That's another like I mean I think Stutzla is a potentially could. I, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, and you know, but I think that that's that's another factor in the whole thing. Is like, hey, you know, do, is this the guy that we think could play for our team next year? Is he a guy that we think five years down the road is going to be an exceptional player? Um, you know, those are the kind of things that you're going to be thinking about. But I think that he's a really good player. I think you know, I have six, and he's he's a guy that uh, that that is uh, uh, intriguing. Uh, the fact that you know he could very well be be the best Austrian to ever play in uh, in the NHL is certainly interesting. He's a huge uh, a huge sports celebrity over there, from what I understand. So uh, I certainly hope uh, that that he has a lot of success and, and is a guy that we talk about for a lot of years to come. Yeah. Um, Spencer, do you have any uh, more questions to ask? Uh, yeah, I have a few more. I, w- I actually wanted to touch about on uh, Brendan Brisson from Chicago Steel here. I actually sure. had the opportunity to watch him develop as the season went on quite a bit because I'm actually an off-ice official for the Steel, so that kind of helped. But <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, unique with him because he wasn't really a prospect on anybody's radar a few years ago at Shattuck, and, and even now at the start of the season. But I think the World Junior A Challenge back in December kind of helped raise his stock quite a bit. But what do you think, uh, from your perspective, what do you think makes him a first-round prospect? Since I know you're pretty high in him uh, with your rankings, uh, of course, as well. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think part of it is the the lack of depth in the class. Honestly, like I don't know that he would have. He, he certainly would have been a first rounder in last year's class. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that that's part of it. But I also want to say, like the development that he that he's had. I mean, really, not a lot of guys play their their U eighteen season in uh, in prep school anymore. You know, like and the static. But he wasn't ready for the USHL. Like he was in the right place. So he goes mm-hmm. to Shattuck, and they have such a great track record. But to see what he did coming in this year, I think what we saw from from Brendan Brisson is that he's got excellent hand skills. He has, he thinks the game at a very high level, uh, elite one timer, great shot. You know, he, he and he showed that off plenty. Um, and and I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how teams handle Chicago Steel prospects because they obviously have a lot of them. You know, there's uh, Brendan Brisson. Angelo, there's Gunnar Wolfontaine, who's you know, second year eligible. Matthew DeSan Falls still has a chance to be picked. Like, but but you know, you take those guys away from those teams, and and how do they look? And I think that's something that NHL teams are asking themselves right now. I mean, I know there are plenty of of, of scouts that still don't think Brendan Brisson should be in the first round. Um, I you know I, I push back on that because I see the skill level. I see that this is a guy that's game is thrown. I, I was at the World Junior A Challenge this year, and you know, he, he tied the single tournament scoring record with 12 points this year. Um, he, he didn't do it in two more games than the two guys that he tied, but either way, he still he still has 12 points in, in that tournament. And um, I think what he showed there was an ability to play with, you know, with and against elite players, just as he did kind of in Chicago. And Chicago feasted on what I think was a very weak USHL this year, um, you know, and it, it compared to years past in terms of, you know, depth across the league. But still, you can't take anything away from what he did. And, and uh, the reason that I think he's a first-round talent is that I think the skill level and the brain are there for him to continue to progress. Once he goes to Michigan um, and has some success in, at the college level playing, and I think it'll be a tough adjustment next year. Um, Michigan's going to be a very young team, but I think that he's a guy that, that has an opportunity to be a very good uh, college player with a chance to, you know, I, I don't think anybody anticipated um, uh, first round draft pick coming into the season, and, and certainly he has uh, really risen up the charts. So, um, 
we've kind of talked about the top end prospects and we even talked about who the Blackhawks could potentially pick at number nine if that's how things work out and the Blackhawks have a second round pick I believe it's number 55 if everything stays the same and we kind of talked about a prospect who might who very well could sneak into the first round but also drop in Brendan Brisson so I'm just wondering on that uh that topic who would be some nice fits like maybe based off your ranking that could fall to the Blackhawks at 55. Yeah, you know, it's they're 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 going to certainly be a lot of options. I mean, I think that the lack of lack of predictability in this draft um, is is something that uh, that I keep kind of wrestling with because I don't think there's much consensus in terms of well, a lot of it. You know, really after after two, I don't think there's really any consensus in terms of you know who should go where. I think that's it's it's a little difficult to say, but I mean, like you know, there's a chance. Who knows? Maybe Noel Gunler falls that far. Maybe he falls down into 55, and suddenly you're like kind of similar to the Brandon Saad situation a few years, a few years back. You're like, wow, well, this just fell into our lap. Let's Even now, it's to bring it. Yeah, now it's bring it as well. You know, so guys like that, you know, you you have that opportunity. Um, you know, it could be like a Ronnie Herman. He's got the first round buzz. He's he's an undersized center, but he's got dynamic talents and. and you know, there are, there are uh, you know, other guys like defensemen. You know, you do look like, uh, possibly like a guy like Clevin from the National Team Rolling big early defenseman. Uh, he's got a you know, rocket shot and hits. And then, you know, if you're looking forwards, you know, there's certainly a lot of options there. I think that, you know, maybe it's the Zion Newbeck from Sweden. Uh, uh, you know, undersized but dynamic. He gets under guys. Um, you know, he, he's got that opportunity uh, to, to, to make plays and, and just, you know, he's, he's got a good work ethic, a good motor. Uh, a guy that I think that I have a little bit higher than I, I that he may go is, uh, is uh, Brandon Coe, played North Bay this year. Big body, kind of just finding the game as a power forward. Uh, I think he's got really good feet and skill level to potentially round out to another player. Um you know, and then uh, so that's that's another potential option. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there are going to be a lot of different different level of players that are, are going to go. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be guys that I don't have so much later that could potentially sneak into the early round. Um, you know, teams are just kind of like, hey, you know, we got our board is our board, and and uh, I've heard you know from, from scouts after some of the rankings and the public have gone out, and they're like, wow, you know, like there's our board looks a lot different than what yours does, or not necessarily mine in particular, but just you know, even before mine came out, they're saying, no, we're not seeing a lot of uh, things lining up with how the public the public draft boards are going right now, but. Uh, that's uh, there are more public draft boards I think than there ever been before, so I mean that could be part of it as well. So, uh, but yeah, there, I, I think there's a there, there's certainly gonna be good options Yeah, I definitely like the names you listed. The names that you listed, like uh, Gunler, uh, Nebeck, and uh, Hervonen, I think very high of. So that'd be awesome if, if one of them could drop to fifty five. Like that'd just be a dream. Um, yeah, no guarantees, but yeah. yeah. Um, Spencer, Jimmy, do you guys have, have any more questions to ask? Uh, I, I, I just wanted to, to, oh, go ahead, Spencer. Yeah. No, you can go, you can go. Oh, no, no, I, I actually wanted to, uh, <laughs> they might for the end, so go ahead, Spencer, you're good. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, so, this is, <laughs> this, is my, first. this is my last big question here, but I wanted to touch a little bit on potential a little bit, since I've always been curious about this, and we mentioned this a few times before uh, as well. I know for me, when I'm watching some players, like projecting a player's upside, especially like where that player could be in four to five years, so to say, 
And their floor as well is also so difficult to evaluate. But when it comes to evaluating a prospect's upside and floor, how do you evaluate that? Is like, is there any specific way to evaluate this too? And if so, how does like that process work? Yeah, I mean, I think there are. I, I can only speak to how I do it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that for me, it's it's hard. It's the hardest part of the job because we don't have a crystal yeah. ball. We don't know what's going to happen, and and you know, I think that you look at let's let's just use Elias Patterson for example. He was there were teams that were like we can't draft it because we don't we think that he's going to get hurt like all the time how thin he is and that they didn't think that he was going to grow enough for the NHL level. Obviously, we see now that that's not really the case. So, um, so yeah. So I mean, like that's that's way to go. I think like. When you look at upside, I mean, one of the reasons that Byfield, at, at, at least at one point, looked like he was going to challenge for Alexi Lafreniere um, is that is that he has such a high ceiling. And why, why do we think that? Well, we think that because, number one, he's one of the youngest players in this draft class. You always look at that age and you say, okay, well, if he's this good now, how, how much better can he be in two or four years? His size obviously is a factor, but the fact that he carries that size, like he's going to get heavier in terms of his physical mass, and he is going to be much harder to play off the puck. And then you look at the fact that he already has high skill, he already has great skating ability, and so you add that extra strength that you're going to build, and suddenly you're like, wow, this guy could be a number one center for a long time. He could be a dominant, a physically dominant number one guy for three years to come. And so that's what you look at the upside there. You know, when you look at the floor, you say, okay, well, here's, you know, like, even if his floor, his floor at this point is pretty reasonably high because of how good he is right now, you say, okay, if, if, that's, and then I think that that's ultimately the reason why you pick Alexi Lafreniere first, because his floor appears higher, because we're, I think, I think he's at his floor right now, and, and if he played at this level, I think he's an impact player at the NHL level. Um but Byfield, you say, okay, well, he, you know, he lacks consistency. Uh, you know, there have been a few questions about hockey because of that, because, you know, he's not finishing plays as cleanly. Um, you know, if it's an endurance issue, that's something that can be corrected, unless it's something that's physiologic, phys- physiologically wrong with him um, that you, you know, wouldn't necessarily know for a little bit. But, but I think that he's, he's a guy, you know, that, that those are the different things that you look at. Um, when I look at defenseman, I want to see how does he play this puck? How does he anticipate plays? How does he read the play in front of him? The hockey sense part is a big part of that upside. You can say, okay, if he can think the game at this level now, what's he going to do with experience? Because experience is such an underrated thing. Um, you look at college hockey and you say, okay, well, this guy, he comes in as a freshman and he's got all the skill in the world and he's going to play in the NHL next year, but he only has like 20 points. Well, the reason that that happens is he's playing with guys that are you know, 22, 23 years old, sometimes as old as 25 years old, and those guys have been in the league or you know have years of experience on that player, and that they just know more, and their hockey sense is more advanced, not because it's better than theirs will ever be, but because it's better with the amount of information they've been able to do. So those are the different things that I'm looking at, like, you know, in floor and ceiling. But, I mean, the physical aspects are huge. I look at, like, Keandre Miller a couple of years ago. I, I put him a lot higher than I thought – a lot of the rest of, the, of people did, and that was strictly on upside because of the. And, and the, another thing that played into that was that at the, in his draft year, he was only his third year playing defense. 
So it's like if he's this good with three years, what's he going to look like with more experience? And I think that's what the New York Rangers felt as well because they took him pretty high. So, so that's kind of those are the things that that I think play into the upside and the floor. Um, it's impossible to know. It's impossible. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's and it's especially hard to do with goalies. Like I look at a scar on and I say, man, if he's this good now, but I also understand the fact that goalies could have. You know, something happened. They, you know, they get the yip suddenly, and they can't stop the puck. Like, I mean, you just don't know what'll happen. So, um, but you try to use hockey sets, and uh, and I think physical makeup are two of the things that you try to to, to project out, and then obviously skill level and, and skating and things of that nature. Are they all? It's the same kind of things that all come into the evaluation of the player at the time. Do you think Quinn Byfield could be the best player of this draft? Absolutely. I think if he hits the ceiling, like he, he will. Be. Um, I just think that it's fair to mitigate risk by taking Lafreniere, who I think will be a star in the league. So it's like, okay, well, do you want do you want a, do you want a surefire star, or do you want a guy that you know might be a star, might be a number two for, might be a number two center long term? You know, like it's still pretty good. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily his floor. I think you know it's lower than that. But I mean, I, I think that that it's reasonable to hedge. Um, it, when the when the other guy is so good, like like right here. Uh, Jimmy, do you have uh, another question to ask? Do you have any more to ask? Uh, not necessarily. I did, uh, if it's possible, I want to kind of branch off into the uh, Blackhawks current prospects. If sure. you want to move to that. Awesome. Okay, so um, is, is it cool if I ask about uh, three, four, five-ish prospects? Is that cool with you, Chris? Yeah, sure. Awesome, okay. Mm-hmm. So let's see. I think the biggest name that... Um, the one that's been talked about the most right now is Ian Mitchell, who is uh, from the 2017 second round. I was wondering if uh, kind of where you saw him at first and uh, where you think he's come with his development so far. Like, what do you think he could be for the Blackhawks uh, this next season? I, I think that, you know, he's certainly a challenge for a spot. I mean, we'll, we'll see where things end up in terms of, uh, um, in terms of, you know, what the Blackhawks look like in the next season. I mean, I think he's, he's a kind of guy that has the ability to, to, to challenge. I think, you know, it's probably more reasonable to expect that he'll, he'll end up playing um, in the AHL, again, depending on what the makeup is. But I, I think for him, I, I, I've been high on him really since his job and had opportunities to see him more at Denver and see him live. And I think he's an incredibly intelligent defenseman. Um, you know, there's just smoothness to his game. His skating has really improved to the point where I think it's, it's become a real strength of his on top of the hockey testing ability. Um, and so that's that's me. Um, but for me, I think Ian Mitchell is he's a high character guy. I've never thought I've never heard anybody say a bad word about the kid. Um, he's been a leader at a top program. He's been uh, you know in major groups. Uh, with with Denver and at the World Juniors, so he's had a lot of high level experience already with surfing very well. I think the Blackhawks have had a real good high value guy. I think you know, for me, you know, outside of the NHL, it's hard to see anybody that's you know a, a better prospect right now than he is. Uh, with Doc and Boquist being on the NHL, uh, so I mean, I, I, I have a, a very high uh, uh, high liking for for him. Awesome, yeah. I think it's um, he's definitely one that's he's a bit under the radar. I think he, uh, like you mentioned, great guy. But I think the thing that I uh, he gets a bit uh, 
ignored for is definitely the fact that he's not he's not the flashiest guy, you know. Like he, it reminds me of Dante Fabro, not the same player. I don't really make a comparison, but just the fact that he's he doesn't yeah he isn't flashy. He just kind of gets the job done for you. Um, so I really it's really interesting to hear. I I'm honestly not surprised to hear that uh, he's uh, someone that a lot of people like because he just seems like a great kid. You know, he seems like definitely like. Uh, not, not necessarily that he'd be this in the NHL, but uh, it doesn't surprise me that he was a captain in Denver. Just, uh, you know, hearing from the guy and reading review or reading interviews and whatnot. Um, anyways, the second player I wanted to ask about was one that I actually had the chance to see in person. Uh, and I guess about 20,000 in people uh, watching on TV in the final game of uh, currently of the season. Um, was uh, Nicholas Bodan. Uh, he was someone that I thought he uh, kind of fell under the radar during the season. I believe he got uh, third-pairing minutes in Rockford, which kind of surprised me for him being a younger player and the sort of style he plays being a little more, uh, not just two-way, but having a little more of an offensive touch. But seeing his first game, he really, really impressed me. I thought he fit in very well. Um, right from the get-go, even if it was against a, uh, a San Jose team, which as bad as their defense is, their offense still has a bit of a punch to it, and he seemed very sound, just really fit in very fast, and that would be Nicholas Bodan. Yeah, you know, he's he's an interesting one. I, I didn't like what I saw this year. I've not I've never been real high on him. Um, you know, going back to his draft season, uh, I was surprised when, when Chicago took him in the first round. Um, but, you know, I think what he has – I watched that game too, the, the NHL game, and I did think it, you see the poise. You see his ability, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, find space. And one of the things that I always thought he did so well was just creating with his feet, um, you know, making more ice for himself. And, and I think you, you always have to grade guys on a curve in that first year in the AHL. And I still think he's a fine prospect. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I, like I said, he's never been a guy that really jumped off to me, like a guy that was going to be like a long-time NHL defenseman. I think that he, he certainly very well could be a bottom-pairing guy for long-term with some power play minutes and things like that. Like, I, I could see that. I think he needs more time. You know, he just needs more time. He needs to get stronger. He, you know, he's not a big guy already. Um, but I think he's an intelligent player, and there's 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 going to be time for him to kind of grow into that. So I think long term, you know, if he could sneak into a four, that'd be that'd be best case scenario, I think, for me. Um, but I, I, I mean, even if it, you want to have skill on your bottom pairing too, you don't just want to, you know, gum it up with some big slow guys. And I don't think that that's what the Blackhawks are going to do. And, and and really, I think that his he still has the upside and potential to get to you know, uh, a higher level. And I, I'm fascinated to see kind of what he does with a, with an extended off season, the opportunity to build more strength, the opportunity to, you know, just kind of focus on himself a little bit more. And, and I think that, you know, I, I, I don't anticipate him being a full-time guy on the Blackhawks next season. Um, but I do think that he's a guy that, that still could provide some value to the organization over time. Awesome. That's really interesting. Uh, especially how you said, um, I think something I really agree with is that he did very much fall off. Uh, like this year, he didn't necessarily impress me. Right, um, he was someone that yeah, he 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 looked pretty solid. I think he played in the uh, the queue, I believe, and uh, yeah, he looked good there. Yeah, but definitely this year, uh, not the most impressive. But I think the only reason I necessarily asked about him was that that first game looked so solid that I uh, I had to put him on there. So thank you for that. Um, the next guy is someone who uh, kind of the opposite from. Uh, 
when he got drafted, I believe he was in the third, I believe it was the third round. Um, if not, it was the fourth, you know, maybe, you know, flip-flop that. And uh, he really, really jumped out of the scene uh, in the W this year, and that would be uh, uh, Mikel Tepley. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I really want to hear what you have to say about him because he really exploded onto the scene this year. I believe he may have won Rookie of the Year in the W this yeah, year. Yeah, he did. I think, he, well, he didn't win Rookie of the Year, but he, I think he was, uh, he was in the mix. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think the thing, the thing about Tepley was in his draft season, like, there was first-round buzz early earlier in the year. I heard about that. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, because he's big, he's a you know, right shot, you know, he's got, he's, he's got some skill. Um, you know, he was a top player for Czech Republic teams that were just terrible, you know, so like he, he was a guy that really jumped out and stood out when he played in those games. And, and I mean, you know, it's always difficult when you're looking at a guy that's playing in the Czech Republic too, because their, their pro leagues are really difficult on teenagers. They, it's hard to produce in. You know, he ended up, you know, last year playing mostly in the, the second tier. Um, and so, you know, his opportunity to come over to the WHL, it's no surprise at all that he, that he dominated the way that he did. I mean, he's an 18 year old and, and playing and he finally has time and space, you know, like that's, you kind of see it jump off. I mean, I thought he was good at the world juniors too. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that I think the reason that he kind of fell off is that, you know, I think there are some concern, there's some questions about the hockey sense, the overall and, and the ability to play his size at a, at, you know, with, with, with more power, he needs to have more power. He needs to have the more physicality. Um, you know, I think he needs to improve his play away from the puck. That's still a factor. Um, you know, and he was on a team when it was, you know, kind of new year and a new, new facility, and there's a lot of different things. So he was kind of like the fresh-faced guy, but obviously he came in and he, and he performed incredibly well. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what the Blackhawks do with him. Uh, you know, they can send him back to the WHL, but since he was drafted out of the Czech Republic, they can certainly put him in the AHL if they wanted to uh, this year. So that's another thing that they, they can consider. Um, I think it, you know, based on what I've seen so far, I think another year in the dub probably would do him really well. Uh, you know, he did dominate, but I think that he could take it to another level. And I think Winnipeg is going to have a really good team next year. So uh, it should be interesting to see kind of what happens with him. But, but yeah, absolutely. A guy that, that, that took advantage of, of, you know, coming over here and, and finally having that time and space, getting that confidence and, and being a go-to guy again, uh, as he was as a younger player in the Czech Republic. Uh, on their U, U19s and U20 teams over there. Uh, so so very, I, I think a guy that was, you know, in terms of the value the Blackhawks got for him in the fourth round, um, pretty darn good. Yeah, I'd have to agree on that. And, uh, I actually didn't know he was uh, ranked so high until they picked him. And then I was, uh, I can't think of his name. It was uh, um, a writer, prospect writer on Twitter. I think Pierce, you know who it is. He's uh, over in Europe. Oh. Um, and he covers all the Europe players. Oh, I'm Yoki Nevelainen. I think that's. Oh good. yeah, yeah. He was uh, really, really high on Tepley. I believe he, he even had him around the first round. And uh, yeah, the Hawks were lucky enough to uh, have him fall to uh, a little bit later in the draft and pick him there. And uh, the last prospect I want to ask you about, Chris, is actually um, uh, it, he sort of uh, just asked about in one of the Twitter questions we have. We have about three here for you. And uh, so the first one uh, with that one being is the. Uh, it's from uh, Edward. Uh, shout out to my friend Edward there. That would be uh, Edward. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, where do you see Philip Kershev? And this is a guy I myself and I think a lot of Blackhawks fans are very high on. In that, uh, where do you see his ceiling 
Where would he fit once he is NHL ready with Taves, Strom, and Doc all presumably on the team? Uh, I have to add as well. Um, sorry, Edward, to uh, kind of dunk on you, but uh, he does play wing as well, so I guess I'd have to add to that question is where do you see his ceiling, and I guess do you see him more as a, a, a clear center or do you see him more as a winger with his style of play? Yeah, I think I think it could... I, I, as an NHL player, I want to say I, I think it's probably more likely that he plays on the wing. I don't think his defensive value is high enough uh, as, as, a, as a center. I mean, it's something that he can certainly continue to work on in the NHL. And, you know, I, I think – but it, for me, I've always liked his skill level. I think that he, he has he has good skill. I mean, he had decent numbers in the AHL this year. It's not like he blew anybody away. But the, yeah. that, the jump from the Q to the, to the AHL and the same for Bodan, it's a big gap. It's a huge gap. I mean, the Q – in terms of the junior leagues, is you know, it, for me, it goes OHL, WHL, QMJHL. Um, you know, and so you know, there's there's a pretty significant gap to what you're what you're getting um, there. But I mean, you look at what he did with Switzerland at the World Juniors last year. You know, he, he was such an important piece for them. He kept them competitive. You know, they were they were the darlings of the of the World Juniors in Vancouver, and uh, you know, he he was one of their offensive leaders. Um, he even played the World Men's World Championship last year, which I think was when you see a young guy, you know, a, a teenager play in that tournament. It is such a hard tournament to play in, and you know, he he, he put up some numbers, and and he was a guy that could rely. And I, I I still think that for me, like he could be a really strong middle six winger, a guy that can give you you know some some scoring depth. Um, and uh, you know, I think that's ultimately if he makes it, that's where he's going to be. I mean, and that's the thing that you know, every single prospect that gets drafted doesn't always necessarily make it. I think Kershev has the goods to make it and be a guy that can can play at the next level. Um, uh, but yeah, but I mean, he's going to be it's going to be interesting to kind of see where his development goes with the AHL and, and what opportunities are presented to him. But that was another guy where I felt like the Blackhawks got good value in a mid-round guy. I mean, Kershaw was another guy that had, at one point or another, first or second round buzz for that draft um, in 2018. Um, and, you know, ultimately fell down the, the rankings quite a bit. But, I mean, he's he's a very intriguing player um, and, and a guy that I think that, that Chicago will will just continue to, to, to develop and uh, eventually uh, have an opportunity to give him a chance at the NHL level. All right, so the next question uh, comes from uh, good friend Charles at Canada Rocket 17 um, I'm not sure if this question would necessarily be something you would know about, Chris, um, seeing as you're more um, oriented with prospects, and that's something you're more, you know, something you think you write about, you know, you're more in touch with. Um, but Charles asks, do you think Dylan Strom uh, will get traded from the Blackhawks this summer? Um, you know, I think everything is kind of in flux right now with you know everything with coronavirus and just trying to figure out when things would happen i mean i don't for me i don't see much point in doing it i think that the blackhawks have been able to i mean i know that he he wasn't as good this year as he was the previous season but i think that there's something there for you know for them to continue to you know mine i don't you know as a restricted free agent too i think you can get him at a very reasonable contract i mean i don't think that you know especially with the, the lack of production this year compared to last season um you know that necessarily he would be uh um you know i, I you know, his value wouldn't be all that high especially without a contract. So it would just be another thing where it's like, you know, what, what's better for us? And I think he's the kind of guy that you can get on a reasonable contract, maybe even a bridge deal, um, and just kind of see what you have. And if, if uh, 
at the very least, you have a trade chip later on when he could potentially have his value rebound. Because I think that he's a good player. You know, he's it took him a while to figure things out at the NHL level. Um, and, you know, obviously Arizona ends up uh, ends up trading him uh, to Chicago and things started going well for him when he got back with, with Alex Brinkett. But I, I think that, you know, it's certainly a possibility. I mean, I think, it, you know, we don't even know if, like, the whole hockey ops staff is going to still be the same given what happened with, with John McMana. And, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see where, where they go. But, but, I mean, for me, I think that, that Chicago has something in Strom. I think it was just a bad, you know, the team was not good this year and a lot of guys had numbers suffer. Um, but he's a guy that I would much rather uh, bet on uh, and continue to continue betting on than uh, take our chances with, uh, you know, somebody that, uh, that didn't uh, either, you know, I, I'm just not even really sure what he would get beyond draft picks at this point. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I, I think, uh, you know, it's a name that's been brought up a bit, but I feel that you had to still low on Nick Schmaltz, and that's how you got him. You lucked out that John Chaka gave you Dylan Strom because he had to sell low on him too. So I feel that you just kind of be – it would be the same thing all over again. So, yeah, especially with him being injured this year, and like you said, in addition to that, you've got the entire team wasn't very competitive this year whatsoever. So it's it's just kind of – Lows all around, and you're not. It's not really the best asset management, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And the last question comes from uh, Pierce. I'm definitely going to butcher your friend's oh, name yeah. here. Oh yeah, I believe it's uh, you, you say it. I don't want to butcher this guy's um, name. Is it John Sebastian Lacombe, something like that? He's in yes. our uh, draft yes. chat that we did okay. over, over mark drafts. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Thank you so much. I really yeah. do. Wanna, I don't even think I don't think I got it right, but uh, that's as best as I could do. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think he'll uh, I think he'll still appreciate it regardless. Yeah, that's what matters. All right, so his question is: uh, He says, "I'd love to hear his thoughts about Ty Tulio and Ryan O'Rourke, and also he'd like to know about your favorite underrated prospect in this draft, kind of your sleeper pick, I guess, in the uh, sure. say the top thirty, sixty. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I think I think for um, for. For Tulio, first off, I mean, I, I he's a guy that I have kind of in the middle of my board. Um, you know, he's 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 not you know not necessarily in a, a, a high high pick for me. Um, you know, I think I have him more towards the uh, towards the third round, which I think is is, is fair. Um, you know, he's a, he's another guy that doesn't have great size, but you know, he, he had really good numbers this year. He's got good quick hands. I think he, he engages physically, uh, which I really like, you know, for a guy like I mentioned before, like if you, you've got to be able to, to get in there physically. I think that, uh, you know, it, it, he's, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of get, know what you're getting out of him. You know, I think he's got the work ethic. He's got the ability to, 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 to make plays in, in tights and, and, you know, kind of use his size to his advantage um, as well. So, I, I mean, and obviously, you know, his goal totals really went up this year. Um, you know, I think that he's, he's a, an incredibly improved player from what, what, what I'd seen previously with him. Um, so that's, that's also good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think he's just kind of like one of those middle of the road players. Very well could go earlier than I have him uh, listed, uh, which is you know kind of towards the third round. 
client that I like him a lot. And then uh, Ryan O'Rourke is a guy that I you know, strongly consider putting as a first-round draft pick uh, or in you know, what the equivalent of a first-round draft pick would be on my board. Um, you know, and, and he was there for a portion of the season. I think he's an incredibly smart defenseman. I think he, he, he's got great effort levels. Um, you know, I think the offensive upside is probably one of the things that concerns me a bit about O'Rourke. Like, I mean, he, he, did, you know, he had decent numbers this year with the Sioux Greyhounds, but you know, it's, it, that's a team that typically has you know, guys that can really you know, put up good numbers, especially from the back end. And, you know, I think the skating's fine, you know, puck moving's fine. It's just like I don't see a lot of you know, exceptional puck movement slash you know, offensive skill from him. So I, don't, you know, I think that's such an important thing in defenseman now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you know, for me, he's, he's a guy that I think fits solidly into the second round. Um, and you know, there could be a team that likes him enough to pick him in the first. But, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty solid player. Is that it for then, questions, Jimmy? Oh, sorry, you can go. Okay, oh, sorry. Yeah, and I had. I guess I had that, that last one. My my favorite uh, sleeper pick, and I actually put him in my top one hundred. I don't know if he'll necessarily go that high, but uh, Declan Carlisle uh, is a, a third year draft eligible uh, who wow. played Max this year, um, and uh, you know he never really pop, he played in the OJHL or the. I get one of the one of the, the CJHL organizations, and then uh, went to the USHL last year. It was kind of underwhelming, but I, you know, I had a chance to watch him quite a bit this year. Uh, he played at Merrimack. You know, I, I saw him live and I saw him on video. And what I saw was a very mature defenseman. Uh, this is a guy as a freshman in college, even though he's not a true freshman, um, that was playing significant minutes against top lines. And uh, not only that, he was producing this year. You know, he, he was he was uh, made uh, the all rookie team in the hockey East this year. Uh, you know, he, he was uh, considered one of the top players at Merrimack this year. Uh, and and that's a guy that you know he, he's a two way defenseman. And I think that the, the intelligence, the ability to defend, the ability to play against top teams, and still have the capability to produce on a team that did not score a lot of goals this year. Um, was was very intriguing to me. So he's a guy. There are two, actually two defensemen from Merrimack. Zach Ewens is the other one, and I believe Central Scouting has Ewens higher than Carlisle. Uh, but I personally feel that Declan Carlisle is a guy that you could you could go anywhere third, fourth round. Um, you know, in terms of when I think he'll probably go, and, and he's a guy that, that I you know I, I saw him on video, and then I came away get from a live viewing, and I was like, okay, yeah, that guy's a draft. It's definitely a draft, and he's a guy that I think he could help a team. Uh, you know, three four years down the road, and uh, and you know the fact that he. You know, plays at Merrimack, which is a team that plays in hockey East, and they have to go up against top teams, and they get their heads beat in a lot, and especially did this year. I watched them shut down Providence, which had one of the highest powered offenses of the of, of the whole, in the whole country, and uh, you know, completely outplayed them. And, and Carlisle was the star of that game for me. So, uh, and so you know, and sometimes you don't want to get sucked into one viewing on a guy. Um, and I didn't. I took extra viewings, but I think that the, the collective package there that shouted to me that this is a guy that's uh, going to get drafted and then probably earlier than uh, maybe uh, maybe I you know, potentially maybe the, than I think, but uh, at least probably in that third fourth round range is a good range for him. All right, oh, that's that, interesting. Yeah. Is that it for questions, Jimmy? No, I think that's it. Um, I just got to say, you know what? Uh, I am the one in this group that probably knows by far the least about prospects, so I uh, I will be looking out for uh, <laughs> third-year eligible Declan Carlisle now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that uh, should be it for the questions. Uh, Pierce, if you want to take it away from here. Yeah, I think that's everything. I just want to say once again, Chris, thank you for coming on 
end up being gracious Seriously. with your time, like an hour and a half of this. It was awesome to pick your brain about prospects. I love reading your work, and I hope all is well with your family right now. And uh, maybe whenever the draft happens, maybe we can talk again. I don't know, but uh, just thank you again once again for coming on. It means a lot to us. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, all the best going forward, and stay safe out there. All right. I gotta say, if, uh, it's really worth watching. Um, if you finish uh, the next season of Paw Patrol, and it's really that good, just uh, give me a DM and let me know, because uh, <laughs> I've been considering if my quarantine watch, so just let me know, please. You got it. <laughs> all right, cheers, guys. Okay, thank you again, Chris. Thanks, yes, guys. Thank you.